So this isn't just the company that's sort of in a battle with Lyft to replace taxis. It's like a bigger story around mobility and, and, um, helping people get where they're going. And so I think we got really excited and it probably gave us a new take on kind of what the company was about and what it could be. Part of the reputational shift they were trying to make was with their internal folks. You know, they had launched in 400, 500, 600 cities. These were people who were running really fast. And it's almost like a part of your employer brand to give those people a better shot at doing their jobs really well. And I think that was kind of like a part of the process that the brand experience team made really clear to us. They wanted to this to be a way to attract talent, keep people in the building, make them, you know, better at their jobs, happier at their job. Hey everyone, welcome to A Change of Brand, a show featuring behind-the-scenes stories of rebrand, glory, drama, or disaster. I'm your host, Blake Howard. Today kicks off season three of the show, and I am so pumped. We have a fantastic lineup for you, filled with insights and some gut-wrenching twists and turns. For today's episode, we have a story that is moving, literally moving, Because we're talking about Uber, a brand that has defined how the world moves. It's among a class of brands that made the phrase disruptive a bit cliche. From dense cities like New York, Paris, or London to remote, inaccessible, smaller townships, ride sharing and food delivery have changed the idea of mobility. In fact, I remember my first Uber. I was attending a swanky design conference in Chicago. But it turned out to be a huge waste of time. The group and I were losing interest in the speaker and we bailed. As we went outside to catch a cab, one of my more highbrow friends said he'd already called a private car service using his phone through an app. And sure enough, a few moments later, we were all spilling into a nice black sedan driven by a man in a black suit. It felt uh, big time, like we were special. Like the Beatles leaving the International Amphitheater in 1965. Not just a shabby group of creatives searching for the best bourbon bar around. Today, Uber has expanded far beyond their initial positioning of their brand as your private driver and has become a household name spanning across 10,000 cities in 172 countries. During their journey, however, the brand has experienced a myriad of wrong turns and controversy, which, like a late and wild night out on the town, makes this story all the more fun to tell. Over the course of their first eight years, they had eight logo changes, some small tweaks and others quite major, but that's a lot. The last one, however, came in 2018, and that is our focus for today. And I'm curious, how do you manage a change at that scale? And at that time, and still today, Uber was pretty controversial. So how does that play into the identity work itself? For more on Uber's backstory and what led up to their 2018 change of brand, here's brand strategist Tracy Clark for our briefing. It's almost impossible to remember the days before Uber. Getting a ride to the airport required the time and generosity of a friend or loved one. 
Nights out on the town were decidedly more dangerous for drivers. Hailing a cab usually required cash and a lot of patience. Today, the rideshare service is so ubiquitous, it's become a verb in its own right. Founded in the late 2000s as UberCab, Uber kicked off a revolution of the gig economy. It all started back in 2008 when Garrett Camp and Travis Kalanick were two tech startup stars attending a conference in Paris. Camp had recently sold his web content recommendation generator, StumbleUpon, to eBay for $75 million, while Kalanick sold his peer-to-peer file-sharing company, Red Swoosh, to Akamai Technologies for $19 million. One night during the conference, the two had a hard time finding a cab, and they began wondering if it would be possible to find a ride with a smartphone. In a moment of frustration, an app was born. In 2009, Camp began prototyping what would become UberCab, and he persuaded Kalanick to join his venture as chief incubator. In early 2010, UberCab did a dry run in New York City with just three cars. In the spring, an official launch was held in San Francisco, where it was headquartered. By the end of the year, Kalanick was serving as Uber's CEO. In 2011, UberCab became Uber, and the company launched its service in New York, Seattle, Boston, Chicago, Washington, D.C., and Paris. 2011 was actually a banner year for Uber. The company raised $11 million in Series A funding and later raked in another $37 million in a Series B funding round that included Jeff Bezos as an investor. That influx of cash gave Uber the footing it needed to gain a strong following and differentiate its offerings as competitors like Lyft and Via started cropping up. In the years that followed, Uber would expand beyond its premium black cars to provide customers low-cost alternatives, carpooling options, food delivery. I'm getting hungry just thinking about what I'm going to order from Uber Eats after this segment. Even self-driving vehicles, too. By 2017, Uber logged 5 billion rides in 500 cities around the world. Around that same time, Uber's rides started to get rough. Dogged by multiple accusations of sexual harassment and discrimination and following a demand from five major Uber investors, Kalanick resigned as CEO in 2017. After years of skirting industry regulations on drivers, between 2016 and 2018, Uber was forced to withdraw from several major global markets, including Europe, China, Southeast Asia, and the UK. On the consumer side, the company faced serious concerns about safety, both for riders and drivers and continued competition was really putting the squeeze on the OG rideshare brand. Nevertheless, in May 2019, Uber went public in one of the most anticipated IPOs for a U.S. company since Facebook. Today, its stock's still sluggish. Uber is a near-textbook example of the meteoric rise and fall of a tech company. But don't think it's down for the count just yet. There's still plenty of value in the brand, and it's something the company is astutely aware of. In fact, Uber rebranded itself five times in nine years before settling on its current identity. What went wrong and what went right in the company's multiple changes of brand? Let's jump back in to find out. The previous symbol, referred to as the bits and atoms mark, was an abstract shape designed to become iconic over time. When it first launched in 2016, I kind of liked it and liked the overall strategy. Until around that same time, I was at another design conference and heard one of the in-house design leaders present the rebrand and the case study. 
And instead of me understanding the rationale and the thinking, I left that session feeling more confused on what it really represented and how the overall system would work together. The most recent iteration of the Uber brand identity was developed by Wolf Allens, a global brand agency that has been around since 1965. They made a big U-turn away from that abstract standalone symbol, opting for a clean sans-serif custom wordmark. They also developed a proprietary typeface named Uber Move by Mickle Type and also introduced some elegant motion, a specific grid layout, and colorful illustrations. Amanda Manila leads strategy in the U.S. for Wolf Allens and has been in the brand innovation space for the majority of her career. Around 2010, she was living in London and started to notice the infamous London 2012 Olympics logo, which was created by Wolf Allens. It was getting the world's attention and it was what first put the firm on Amanda's radar. Flash forward a few years later and she got a chance to join Wolf Allens as a senior strategy director. The story, however, to rebrand Uber started in an unexpected part of the world, in Latin America. Amanda was engaged in a separate and smaller project for the company related to internal culture and leadership. I think it was no secret at the time they were going through some reputational things. I think they were looking to re-kind of articulate um, how they wanted their culture to be, how they wanted to engage in that market. So we did a ton of research, um, went down there, spent a lot of time with their team. And I think it was interesting because... um, that was where we first kind of understood the value proposition of Uber. We saw, you know, people being able to get to work in cities where there wasn't a ton of transport infrastructure. And almost that story that Uber wanted to tell was being sort of played out, um, was being lived out in the way they delivered their service in that in that market. So for us, we were like, okay, so this isn't just the company that's sort of in a battle with Lyft to replace taxis, it's like a bigger story around mobility and and um, helping people get where they're going. And so I think we got really excited and it probably gave us a new take on kind of what the company was about and what it could be. As we've mentioned, there was some bad PR circulating about Uber. Just a few things like evading local regulations, attempts to sabotage competitors, misleading drivers on potential earnings, sexual harassment, discrimination, privacy concerns, data breaches, and more. Naturally, a firm like Wolf Allens was a bit worried before hitching their reputation to the Uber wagon. There was some skepticism. You know, I think we as Wolf Allens always say that we're kind of optimistic for the world. We work with brands that we think are trying to do something good. And that doesn't have to be necessarily sort of a you know, social justice mission or sustainability, but we have to sort of see the ambition and and kind of be on board with that. Um, so I think we had a lot of conversations about whether this was a company and brand that we wanted to kind of team up with. But I think ultimately, like I was saying, I think the LATAM project showed us, okay, this is what this is what this could be, and this is what um, this brand really could um, deliver. And so I think we really got excited about that. A little into the Latin American project, Uber sent out an RFP for the refreshing of their master visual identity system and included Wolf Allens, which had Amanda and her team really excited, like Uber excited. After their test driving with the Uber team, they knew there was a huge opportunity. 
there was already sort of a lot being done to change the culture, to change the vision of the business, to change how they were operating. They were investing in new things. So I think we thought, okay, they're kind of putting their money where their mouth is on this one. And and so we went in all in on that one. And um, interestingly, we did show work, which I guess sounds like, yeah, of course you did. But I think Wolf Olin's typically doesn't do a ton of spec work. And I think in this case, because we were already kind of doing interviews with people in the company, doing interviews with their customers and drivers, we kind of had the, our, you know, our feet wet already. And so I think we said, okay, we, we have some ideas for where this could go. So we started, we did show a couple of directions. Um, some of them have sort of seeds of what would come later. Um, none of them are the final answer, obviously, because I think that was a much longer, more collaborative process. But I think we were already showing our excitement through the stuff that we were able to show in the pitch. And I think, um, Ultimately, the team saw that we wanted to collaborate in the right way. It was a, probably the most, you know, co-creative, collaborative process I've been a part of. And I think they thought, okay, um, these are people we can work with. They want to jump in with us. They want to be all in and invest as much as we do. So I think that, I think from what I've heard from our client team, that's kind of what got us over the line. Hmm. So, so you invested a lot of time into that pitch in response to the RFP. What did it feel like or do you remember when you heard that that you won yeah i think we knew we had a ton of work ahead of us i mean um it was it was a pretty ambitious brief you know the uber wanted to be an iconic brand they wanted to um, expand what they were known for i always talk about that when we were first working with them you read in the press people still called it a taxi app, right? Or like, you know, thought about it in context of yellow cabs or, you know, if you're in New York City or, or other kinds of things like that versus this kind of global mobility powerhouse that they were becoming. They were already at that point, um, you know, investing in freight and B2B. They were investing in autonomous driving. They were starting, you know, the Uber Eats journey. They were on... Um, delivering kind of micro mobility, scooters, bikes, et cetera. So it already, the business had already evolved so far past the kind of taxi app that it was really kind of a misnomer at that point. So we knew we had a ton of work to kind of expand the definition. And then also, yeah, tackle all the kind of cultural and reputational stuff that they were up against at that point. Okay, quick recap here. The Wolf Allens team went in and pitched, showing some spec work, which isn't quite typical for them. But it was just enough to show their passion for the project and got them the gig. So after a few high fives and appropriate professional side hugs, they got to work. The design was architected by Forrest Young, the head of design for Wolf Allens at the time. But many others were involved. Too many, really, to name. It's hard to capture the monumental task of planning an effort like this for a global company. They had to think about getting buy-in internally, creating transparency in the process, determining further research, managing the client relationships, and collaborating with internal groups. It was a lot. The Wolf Allens team worked closely with the Uber brand experience team led by Peter Marketos, their champion for the project. But as the work progressed, the need to collaborate grew as well. More designers, program managers, marketers, writers, regional execs, etc. came out of nowhere like a growing convoy of opinions, which typically waters down the quality of the work. But in this case, it wasn't all that bad. You know, as the process went on, the, the 
number of stakeholders just increased. And I think in the best possible way, right? It wasn't like, you know, some more corporate clients I've had where it's just more and more execs want to weigh in as the work goes on, but it was really practitioners. And I think that was a real hallmark of this one is it was people who actually created work with an Uber, shipped work with an Uber. Um, and that felt different. It was, we were really hearing kind of opinions on the brand, the vision, but also people saying, hey, this color palette isn't working for me in my market. I'm not able to, you know, successfully deliver on the briefs that I need to for my team and my customers. So I think um, that felt different in this process. Another roadblock encountered was the previous version of the Uber brand, or at the time, the current version of the identity. It was referred to as the bits and atoms, which we described earlier. The abstract symbol with a circle and an interior line connected to a square. It was launched less than a year before this point in the story, around 2016. Abstract symbols take some time to become recognizable and valuable for the brand, and it was created in-house with the CEO as a part of the process. To convince the Uber team to steer away from that mark would not be easy. That's a hard thing to go up against, right? Like something that's created with that much kind of um, attention and focus. I think, you know, it was kind of less about what we thought about it. We had, we definitely had our thoughts. I think what we started to hear in the conversations we had with folks on the Uber team was that there was a lot of complexity. Um, the, the color palette that came along with it was pretty robust. Um, people were struggling to know how to be clear, how to tell stories in a clear way. And we also heard kind of maybe more importantly, even that it was creating some confusion with, with customers. And there was this phenomenon of people saying, you know, if that symbol is just used in the window of the, the car I'm getting in, how do, how am I certain that's my driver? You know, is that, is that who I'm supposed to be getting the car with? And so if you juxtapose that or put that alongside, you know, this story about safety that was super important to tell, one of our principles early on became sort of see Uber, no Uber. There should be no confusion when you're leaving the airport, when you're getting in a car, um, that you're in the right place, that you're safe, um, that all these things are working the way they should. So I think that was maybe the biggest kind of argument for moving away from that system because it was very, you know, it had an interesting story. It was, it was sort of esoteric. It had a lot of like thought put into it, but it didn't have the kind of cut through simplicity and kind of transparency that I think was becoming really important for them as a business. Yeah. Yeah. And it seemed like it was, it was more about being clever than being clear right. to your point. you could take this work a million different places and you need some words on paper or you need some strategic ideas that will drive everything forward. How did you start to land some of those or pitch some of those or what happened once you really got into yeah. the work? Um, so interestingly, uh, Uber had kind of started a few different pieces of work at the same time. So they had started to relook at their kind of belief and mission They'd started this path with us in terms of um, the visual identity, verbal identity kind of experience. And they also were looking to launch a campaign. So we kind of knew from the beginning this was going to be a big process. Um, and so the the belief that started to come out with this was this idea of movement ignites opportunity. And that was um, an idea that, you know, it, again, a big idea. Um, but I think 
going very back to the beginning, that kind of resonated with us from the experience we had in Latin America and seeing, okay, that's right. We saw people have the opportunity to to get a job because they could get to an interview. They had an opportunity to kind of try um, to go places they hadn't been before, et cetera. So we kind of latched onto that idea. And I think from from our side, it was started to be about defining what kind of movement we're talking about. You know, that was even from the pitch phase, that was a lot of what our exploration was about. What is move? What does it mean to move? What kind of movement? What does that look like? What does that behave like? Um, so if you see a lot of our like behind the scenes case studies photos, we're like literally prototyping the way things move, both digitally, but also just there's a great photo of some people on our team like dropping giant post-it notes through a stairwell to see how they behave as they like drop through the sky, right? Or drop through the the air. And so we're doing like, it's funny, like funky stuff, but I think just trying to get that like physicality of movement and what that meant and the both kind of functional ways that things move, but also the kind of emotional ways. Um, so there was a lot of that kind of exploration of just trying to get to the root of the behaviors and really try on that kind of user-centric point of view of what are people trying to do when they call an Uber and whether that's like a Uber ride or, you know, Uber Eats or something else, what is it they're, they're looking for and where are they trying to go? What are they trying to get and bring back to them? So Wolf Allen's designers are dropping objects from their stairwells, experimenting and pulling late nights while they make progress. They didn't have a big reveal moment per se, but took a much more iterative approach for sharing their work with the Uber team, building the identity bit by bit. The designers would talk about the the night they sort of happened upon the U-frame, which became sort of the hallmark, you know, um, asset or kind of treatment of the system. And, and just thinking about you know, even in the pitch, there had been a, there'd been a direction that started to play on the U and like thinking about that. And could we kind of make that more of an iconic part of the system? Um, and, and so, you know, there were, there were aha moments, but it was less about, you know, we're going to trot up with kind of three boards of three directions and kind of have this dog and pony show about that. And really more of a kind of day in and day out kind of thing. The color black had been really highly associated with Uber. Um, but it felt a little bit inaccessible. It kind of went along with that origin story of Uber almost feeling like a, a you know limousine or you know a kind of elite thing. And really, they were looking to be a more democratized experience. So we started talking about adding white to the palette um, to kind of we we called it let the light in, right? To give that lighter, um, perhaps less overtly like masculine or elite vibe. Um, so we started to like happen upon principles like that. And I think um, the other piece of, of the U-frame and, and a lot of that was really trying to get to more of a user customer centric point of view. Um, a lot of what Uber was putting out at the time was talking about Uber. And, you know, I remember this moment, we can talk about training and that sort of launch moment later, but going through their kind of copy, because a lot of this was also, we did tone of voice and, it was like, you know, you're not supposed to use too many I statements. It was like every sentence started with Uber. Ubers, we're working really hard for you and we're innovating and we've launched in 600 cities. And it was interesting because they were so focused on innovation. I think, you know, working in kind of San Francisco, Silicon Valley, you see this a lot, right? You have to be so Uber focused, on, no pun intended, on your um, on your mission. But sometimes that comes across as sort of a 
you know, that you're not customer centric, that you're not thinking about the impact you have. And I think for them, particularly as an organization, that was becoming an issue. Um, so thinking about how to put, you know, riders, drivers, partners at the center um, and the U-frame literally, you know, functionally did that. So you could tell stories that um, put people at the center rather than the company at the center. Yeah, the word mark, the logo itself. And that's always a big moment, right? What does that look like? And we are working really closely with um, Jeremy Mickle and the the Mickle Type Foundry on, on a custom typeface as well. So it's sort of like we had all these irons in the fire and the different pieces were informing one another, I think, as we started to coalesce around that. So it was kind of like, okay, we think it's primarily a black and white brand. Okay, we think it's a word mark. Um, we came across this U-frame idea and that started to feel good in terms of um, a way of storytelling. Um, we're working on brand voice throughout this and really giving a different kind of tonality to Uber. So it was like the pieces kind of came along together. And yeah, but but you're right, like always logo wordmark itself is, is a moment. Um, and, and I think, you know, convincing people that a brand could be that simple and still be powerful um, and still compete against, you know, their magenta competitors down the street and and that sort of thing. So I think we had a lot of those conversations along the way. Okay. When we come back from the break, we learn that not all Uber executives were Uber excited with the new work, including the new CEO. We also learn how Amanda and the team get risky with inclusion, gathering global feedback, all that and more after the break. Hey listeners, we have some exciting news here at A Change of Brand HQ. Blake, our fearless podcast host and dad joke expert, has written a book. What? Yes, it's totally true. It covers a range of brand identity topics and solutions to help CMOs and other brand leaders uncover a more radically relevant brand. In fact, that's the name, Radically Relevant. And since we all love to take quizzes, it comes with an assessment too so you can see how your brand stacks up against the competition. The book officially launches this fall, but you can take the Radically Relevant assessment today for free and buy the book on presale. Just go to radicallyrelevantbrand.com. We'll also link it in today's show notes. Last but not least, don't forget to join the conversation on Instagram. See more about today's episode, share with a friend, or send us an idea you have for a future episode at A Change of Brand. All right, let's get back to the show. All right, when we left off, the rebrand commute was coming along nicely. All was relatively smooth. The Wolf Allens team had some great inspiration and ideas. They had a restrained approach to the design, a simple word mark, a lot of white space and beautiful type, allowing for motion to create some visual interest. The design purists were fist pumping and jamming out to life is a highway on their drive or commute home. One of the challenges, however, with a comprehensive process like this that results in pretty simple, minimal work is non-designers typically hate it. If you skip all of the process in the middle and you just see the before and after, you might feel a little underwhelmed, which just happens when you get opinions from everyone in the business. But when the CEO isn't sold, that is a major slam on the brakes, throw your arm in front of the passenger to save them before you crash type of moment. 
we did speak with Dara, uh, the CEO, a few times. And I think, you know, we started to coalesce around this idea of the word mark, of there being a kind of implied road sort of built in between the U and the B. Um, but what that exactly was going to look like, um, yeah, you know, sometimes I think CEOs need to see where you've been, see your homework a little bit, see the math and um, know that you've gotten to a solution that feels right. And we ended up actually making like a coffee table book, a physical kind of artifact and and shipping it over to him specifically to kind of tell the story of where the work was coming from and um, incorporating the strategic ideas and the beliefs that the brand was really starting to kind of espouse and showing kind of where the work, not just for the logo, but kind of the whole direction was coming from and, um, you know, sending it over. So it could be kind of felt, I think, a little more emotionally rather than just um, just sort of talked about in a presentation because, you know, CEOs are smart. People pitch them ideas all day. They know they're getting pitched to. They know you have an agenda coming in. So I think it was us able to say, hey, listen, this is the story we think it would be really powerful to tell from your organization. And we think it pays off a lot of things that you care about um, and you're trying to do within this company. So that was uh, that was part of it. And then there was another time where, you know, we just showed a lot of options. I think that's the other, sometimes you just have to put in the work and roll up your sleeves and say, we've tried a lot of things. This isn't our first idea. So, uh, you know, I think showing, being willing to kind of be flexible um, and be good partners and say, listen, we're, we're willing to do what it takes to kind of get this across the line. Also, the thing I'd point out is we were like already working within a pretty defined, that moment happened where we were kind of refining rather than, you know, should it be an orange brand or a black and white brand or a purple brand? It kind of was, we were already down a path, I think, um, that then we were refining. So uh, not too bad of a time to have that kind of level of scrutiny, I think. Yeah. So you sold him with the coffee table book, which is <laughs> exciting. Yes. And, and, and once he was on board, what, what happened next? How did you start to really test out the work or finalize the full visual system? Yeah, Whew. that's when the real work started, right? Like, I think we had been really going at the definitional kind of piece really hard for a while. Um, and then we did something that I think kind of changed the game for the process, which was we held like a global stress test. I can't remember what exactly we called it, but we basically brought designers, writers from all of what Uber called its mega regions around the world and brought them to San Francisco probably 60, 70% through our process and hosted like a week, a uh, long summit, charrette, whatever you want to call it, um, in sort of the basement of our building and just worked side by side with those folks for a week, um, took them through where the work was going, had them kind of try it on. They brought briefs they were working on. We wanted to kind of... Um, get as realistic as we could and and sort of get real feedback from the people who would actually have to use this toolkit and these guidelines um, as we went forward. And that was amazing. I mean, that was, you know, that le- left us little doubt that the things we were going to produce would actually be relevant. We changed a lot after that. You know, we were still open. It wasn't kind of a you know, pretend you're getting feedback and then really just move about your day. I think we really wanted to know where was it breaking? What was not going to work? Um, show us where the color palette, you know, would fall down in UI. Like, show us where the tone of voice wasn't going to work. Um, and so I think that was a 
that was a pivotal moment to make sure that the thing we shipped in the end, um, as we refined and finalized and kind of standardized the system, that it was going to work for people. And I think also just relationship building wise, that was amazing for us to say, yeah, who are the people that are going to use this? And I think sometimes in these rebrands that gets lost, you get really mixed up in, yeah, the executive conversation or the kind of storytelling of it. And you forget that real people, it's going to land in their lap and they have to use it. Um, so I think that was a really, um, you know, I think that was a really important part of the process for us. I love that. I think that is such a cool idea and so risky to test it out because collaboration always invites feedback and opinions and collaboration is not easy. So it would have been the easy route to say, okay, we're good. Let's pitch it over the fence. Good luck, Uber. Hope yeah. you make it nice. Yeah. yeah. And I think, you know, I think we really learned that lesson from what we heard in our interviews and the the conversations we had early on is we can't do it that way this time. We have to remember the people um, internally, they're going to have to execute it, as you say. And I think also, you know, part of the reputational shift they were trying to make was with their internal folks. We, we want to hear from you. We're asking a lot of you, we're pushing you really hard. You know, they had launched and 400, 500, 600 cities. These were people who were running really fast. And um, I think it's almost like a part of your employer brand to give those people a better shot at doing their jobs really well. And I think mm. that was kind of like a part of the process that the brand experience team made really clear to us. They wanted to this to be a way to attract talent, keep people in the building, make them you know better at their jobs, happier at their job. The teams continue to socialize the new brand identity across the Uber enterprise. And many people overlook a step like this. Think of it as a way to grease the wheels, so to speak, to slowly accelerate and not cause whiplash by putting the pedal to the metal. So we, along with the Uber team, just hit the road. Um, we went to India. We uh, were in Mexico. We went to Amsterdam. We did one in SF. Um, so really that consisted of kind of a town hall for the employees in that region. Um, it consisted of more in-depth kind of training sessions where we and the Uber team were kind of sharing um, the close to final brand, close to final guidelines. We also met with the kind of heads of marketing in those regions to talk about governance, how this was going to work, how it could get into their processes and how work was made within kind of marketing design. Um, so, you know, like almost everything in this process, it was a conversation and, you know, being in live with people and sharing the work and answering questions. And But it was interesting because as I mentioned at the beginning, we were also, you know, um, the new mission was being rolled out and some of the strategic pieces. So there was a kind of employee engagement slash brand element to this that I think was important to for people not just understand, okay, as you said, this is our seventh or eighth new logo, but really this is kind of marking a new day for us and really sending a different signal and telling a different story about the company. With so many brand changes in the life of the company, I was curious on their approach to launch. Would they make a big epic reveal of this new identity? Or like Andy Bernard's Prius sneaking up on Dwight in the office, just quietly push it public? Regardless of their tactic, how would corporate employees feel about this change? What about the drivers? What about riders? Would it be all eye rolls, indifference, or enthusiasm? 
a lot of them had been part of the process. The thing, the folks that hadn't, it was maybe newer news for. Um, but I think we almost took almost like the brand itself, we almost took more of a grassroots approach. There was, I will say, the the day the brand actually launched externally um, was the same day the mission launched, was the same day the campaign that 72 and Sunny did launched. So that, I would say the external piece was more of a, you know, ta-da moment, all in one day, hit PR that day, also had, you know, bigger kind of global town hall with an Uber. So there was kind of that moment. I think this was more... Um, yeah, knocking on doors, you know, shaking hands and kissing babies and saying, you know, hey, we want you, this is your brand. It's not, it's not for Wolf Olin's to say, you know, how you're going to use it as much. It's, it's for you to try on, for you to put in all the things that you're making every day. And I think we wanted to have that partnership feel, um, knowing that the, the big launch that would, you know, be talked about in the press was, was yet to come. We do this all the time. And of course, we want there to be a moment where people are moved by the story. But I think, you know, ultimately, people want to know, is my experience with this company going to change? Is it going to be better or more fun or more fulfilling to work here? You know, are people going to stop saying, oh, you work for that company, you know, like, and have comments about it? Like, I think... You know, we went on to work with Uber on a lot of things post rebrand. And I think that was, you know, just as important, which was how do you make sure that the kind of spirit of this new brand, the leadership that Dara is bringing in, the things they're investing in, like safety, are actually, you know, embedded in the company. So I think that was kind of that was part and parcel of the approach we took the whole time, which was like, how do we get under the skin of this company, really understand what they're trying to do and help them do that, not just help them show that kind of visually. So I think, um, yeah, I think we avoided, um, you know, something kind of flying, the helicopter landing on the roof or anything like that. I mean, that would have been cool too. But I think it was much more about um, us trying to tell this more authentic story because I think that's where, you know, where they felt like they had gone wrong in the past. I think we were excited. I think we thought we had made, you know, a great brand in in partnership with their team. Again, I think because we'd worked so closely together, it didn't feel like it was, you know, just an agency on on kind of the chopping block or to show up somewhere and be critiqued. I think it was really about telling the story of the organization. But yeah, we knew, you know, we knew there were we had met folks in the process that were sort of haters and skeptics and, you know, um and so we knew that part of that was coming, but I think we felt like we had made choices that helped move the company forward. And, you know, and again, like was less about Silicon Valley and was more global, right? We, the, the typeface was designed to work across languages and be really um, understandable and not be sort of um, a poor version of the English or Western version. Like the, the color palette was super clear. We, we kind of just felt like we had made a brand that was more inclusive. And so I think because we felt so strongly that that intent was right, if people wanted to critique execution, they're going to, you know, we know that's true of um, just the work we do. Um, So I think we were excited. I think we knew that we'd have some conversations about it. But um, I think very quickly, we heard from a lot of people that, you know, they understood what we were trying to do with it, that we under, they understood why it was so simple and kind of restrained in some ways, um, that it was a, less about trying to make, Uber take, make another statement. The company had made plenty of statements, intentional and unintentional in the past. So I think this was about um, 
yeah, kind of growing up a little bit, maturing as a company and and kind of showing, um, you know, they were also hurtling towards an IPO. And so I think it needed to show that they were really a mobility platform that people could take seriously. The refreshed visual identity, mission, and redesigned app launched in September of 2018 with critics ready to take the wheel and, well, criticize. This is Uber's second major brand overhaul in less than three years. The change has been said to reflect Uber's transition to a global company. It says that the logo is easy to see and easy to recognize around the world. We're going to help you. We're going to be there. We're going to give you consistency. We're going to give you more opportunity. Is there any meat to this? For the most part, the design and brand community praised the work and it was well received. And I agree. From the fluid motion, simple grid and illustrations, it's really hard not to like. The process was inclusive, well thought out and collaborative, and I'm most impressed by the openness and vulnerability of the global stress test that Wolf Allens hosted. Hosting a workshop with a global set of creatives is no easy task, but according to Amanda, it made the work that much stronger. As many people suspected, the rebrand work preceded an IPO for the tech giant. On May 9th, 2019, Uber launched one of the most highly anticipated IPOs of the year. The company was valued as high as $120 billion, but it quickly fell flat with the biggest first-day dollar loss in U.S. history. Since then, however, Uber has worked on becoming profitable and has completed some high-profile acquisitions of companies including Jump, Postmates, and Drizzly as well as a partnership deal with Lime. Uber is one of the most tailed and closely followed companies in the world, once going down in history as the world's most valuable startup and disrupting the modern ride-sharing and transportation industry as we know it. It was hard hit, however, by the COVID-19 pandemic, creating large losses in its rider business and essentially being bailed out by its food delivery arm, Uber Eats. The good news, however, just at the end of 2021, Uber reported its revenue had made a big comeback and it was up 51% year over year. As for Amanda and the Wolf Allens team, they still feel good about their effort. I think I and and we feel proud. I mean, I think, um, you know, I talked a little bit at the beginning about safety. One of the things that we were most proud of is we sat down with what they called the kind of safety marketing team. And they'd really been looking at how safety and security play a role in the customer journey. And um, we ended up creating a color in the palette around that and called it safety blue. Very simply again, but... um, I started to see that everywhere. You get out at the airport, you would see signage that used that color. I think during the pandemic, um, you started to see it in the kind of COVID-19 protocols and um, different aspects. So I think that part especially, because to me, that is the clearest story of changes in the business, investments in the business to the brand, to the customer experience. And so I'm proud of all of it. But I think when I see that, it's like, that's a meaningful change. That wasn't about just making the brand more modern or making it, you know, iconic. I think it did some of that, but I do think also there were just things that affect the customer experience and the driver experience. You know, we did some work around designing where the centers where drivers show up and then sign up to be an Uber driver and kind of get their training and things like that. So I think 
I think those things that I know were meaningful and how the company actually operates are most gratifying. Um, but it's fun to see. And, you know, I live in the Bay Area, so there's no shortage of uh, seeing Uber everywhere. And little did you know back in 2018 that in 2020, Uber Eats would virtually save us all. <laughs> and we right. would We would That's still right. be able to eat at our favorite restaurants, even That's though right. we were locked inside. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, you know, that's a really important point because one of the things we, I didn't mention necessarily earlier was we worked on some brand architecture as part of this and um, their business was changing so fast and it continues to, but the kind of premise that we talked about back then of like Uber helping you go places and get things is still the kind of primary way they talk about their business. And, you know, there's a lot of things they they work in that aren't just rides or Uber Eats, but those still are the kind of two functions they serve in the world. And I think that's been really fun too to say, yeah, those are those are the two things that are really still um, making a lot of our worlds go round on a daily basis. Okay, our Uber rebrand journey has reached its destination. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to tip your driver. And special thanks to Amanda Munilla and Wolf Allens for giving us a behind-the-scenes look into the work. To see more visuals from today's episode, head on over to achangeofbrand.com and just click on this episode. If you liked today's show, please share it with a friend. And Instagram is a great way to do that. Just follow us at achangeofbrand. Today's episode was edited by Gabe Kitzman, fact-checked by Jill Jeffries, written in part by Pamela Hinman, and produced by Patrice Fielder. Special thanks to Tracy Clark for the briefing and Rachel Jackson for today's artwork. I'm your host, Blake Howard, signing off.